0: You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. I, I had this really tough transition from primary school, um, which was like two minutes walk from my house, 200 people at the most, uh, into high school, which was over an hour's drive away and 2,000 people. And so I just got, sho- I got shocked. Going into year seven, going from this little small town school where everyone knew me and I was the president of the junior school council, I might add, um, elected by popular vote, into this this school where I didn't know anybody. There was way too many people, and they all thought I was strange because I lived so far away. And um, the other thing about it was too that there was this sort of c- this class thing going on where um, the school, the high school I went to, was a, was a very exclusive, very expensive school. And, um, and we didn't have a lot of money. In fact, the reason we didn't have a lot of money is because all of us four kids were going to these schools that kind of just were really expensive, and so my dad was working multiple jobs and raising four kids on his own and sending us to these schools, but there just wasn't a lot of money lying around. So I have this, this fairly strong image, which is even now makes me feel a bit uncomfortable, of going to my first birthday party with... Um, after going to this new school. And I'd managed to grab at least two or three friends by this time. This is a few months in. And so I got invited to this party. And I remember um, sitting down on the floor with the other boys and the kid whose party I went to, him opening the gifts that we had brought for him for his birthday. And I remember just being blown away by how good these gifts were. Like, these were rich kid gifts and I hadn't sort of seen rich kid gifts before. They were like really good gifts, like, so, like things that you would, if you were a kid, you would need to be patient for and wait for years and, and promise that you wouldn't do anything wrong for, for, for years in order to get. But he was just getting them as a matter of course. And then, so he's opening these gifts. They're amazing gifts. Can't remember what they were. Just, they're amazing. Then he got to my gift. I just, I just have this image in my mind of him opening it and looking at it and then just sort of pushing it aside. Because it was a normal kid gift, I don't think it was a bad gift. It was just for what normal kids would give each other, and not what Richie Rich would get for his birthday. And so this just sort of this casting aside. He wasn't he wasn't mean about it. Just like, all right, well, that's a re gift right there, okay. And so and I had this this sense of of um of feeling really um grieved that my my gift had been ignored. The reason I think that's come to mind for me this week is because this morning we're going to be talking about the gift of tongues, speaking in tongues. And I do think that probably for most of us, when it comes to this gift, that has been our general kind of response. Hearing that this gift is available to us, we kind of look at it, think, I think I might stick to these other gifts, right? I'm just going to put that aside. Because the gift of tongues is um, a weird gift and um, some of us have had weird experiences with it and others of us just don't get it. It's confusing to us or it's, uh, it seems like um, something that maybe happened in the in Bible times when weird stuff happened but doesn't really happen today because we're, we're modern and we're post-enlightenment and we're Western and we don't do those things. Maybe you've just grown up in a church where... You're expected to be. Uh, you're expected to behave in a certain way, and speaking in tongues falls outside of that expectation. So I want to talk about this gift this morning. But what we've been praying, really, in the days and, and 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 particularly the days leading up to this week, is that God would give us a real sense this morning that um, that we need not fear anything that we hear from his word. We need not feel uncomfortable or unsettled that we can trust him. If it's true that all of these spiritual gifts are gifts from God himself, if it's true that the gift of speaking in tongues is God's idea and not something that those charismatics came up with or even that Paul came up with, the Apostle Paul, but something God himself has come up with and is willing and eager to give to us, if all of that is true and God is good and does good and we can trust him, then all of us can just sort of take a a bit of a sigh of relief, lower our shoulders a little bit and cultivate a sense of anticipation and eager, eager expectation for what God has for us this morning. That's where I'm coming from. I hope you're there as well. Now, I understand that, and we've said this over and again, people in our church come from many, many different backgrounds. We've got a real melting pot here. I'm not just talking about cultural backgrounds or ethnic background. I'm talking about church backgrounds. We have people who have come here whose normal experience of church is to see the exercise of some of these gifts week to week. It's just the normal Most normal thing in the world. Others of us have come from churches where that is not an expectation, and actually is discouraged or um, prevented from happening. And so I understand that we're all coming from different places. Some of us are not yet Christians or really new to Christianity, and so we don't even you don't know what I'm talking about. And 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 you're just glad you didn't bring a friend this morning because this sounds really bizarre. All right. So here's here's what I want to do. I want to just start off with a a definition. And I checked this definition with Jimmy this morning and he said, that definition is way too long. I stopped listening halfway through. And I get that. This definition is too long and too complex, but this gift kind of is as well. And so the definition needs to match it. Here, let me just read it and try not to tune out halfway through. The gift of speaking in tongues or languages. Now, you can use either one of those words. The gift of languages. Some of my friends refer it to, uh, to it as that. Basically, it just comes from the Greek word glosse, which means tongue. It, it refers to either the, that thing in your mouth, that organ that enables you to talk and eat and all that, tongue, the thing, or it means languages, same word. So... Um, so we very rarely use this word. If we sing an old hymn like, over oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, it's not talking about the thing in your mouth. It's talking about languages. I wish I had a thousand or ten thousand languages to, to sing God's praises, all right? We occasionally talk about tongues and mean the word language, and that's what I'm saying this gift is talking about. This gift is not talking about the thing in your mouth. It's talking about languages. So let me start again. Ready? The gift of speaking in tongues or languages... Is the spirit prompted ability to speak in a heavenly dialect, possibly even an angelic language? Occasionally, the speaker will unknowingly speak an earthly foreign language, like German or Swahili or Mandarin, right? Occasionally, the speaker will unknowingly speak an earthly foreign language they have never learned. More frequently, the Holy Spirit personally crafts or creates a special and unique language that enables a Christian to pray to and praise God in private. There's a lot there, I know. We're going to just unpack it as we go along. But that's my too long, too complex definition, just in case this is the first time you've come across this gift. Now, just to let you know up front... Um, I have to speak about this gift sort of in anecdotes and, and going back to just speaking purely from what Paul is talking about in his word because I've never exercised this gift. I've never spoken in tongues. I've prayed for this gift frequently. I've had other people pray for this gift that I would receive. it. I've had other people pray in tongues over me to receive the gift of tongues and I've, I've never received the gift, um, which is disappointing Like, I would love to have this gift, and, you know, God might give it to me at any moment now. But it also makes complete sense of what we've talked about from the beginning, that gifts, the spiritual gifts, come from God himself. They're not something that we contrive for ourselves, right? God, in in the giving of spiritual gifts, is absolutely sovereign. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is like the wind. It blows where it wills. You can't control it. He does what he wills. And so, again, we've said again and again, when it comes to these gifts and our desire for them, the first place we need to begin as we desire these gifts is to understand we don't produce them. The church doesn't produce them. The guy up the front, the priest, the pope, these, these people don't produce these gifts. God himself gives these gifts. In fact, the gifts themselves are manifestations of himself. We saw in the, in the beginning of chapter 12, a manifestation of the Spirit is given for the good of the church and so i yeah i I haven't had this gift i hope to receive it hope to receive it at some point there are some uh and some of you have come from churches who assert that if you don't have the gift of tongues you haven't yet been uh, baptized in the spirit some will go as far to say that you haven't yet been converted Uh, i don't think this is the case um, I think that what Paul says again in, in one Corinthians twelve, and we've come back to this a few times. But let me read it again um, in verse 29 to twenty nine to thirty. He says, "Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in other languages? Do all interpret?" Now, the beauty of the original Greek language is where we, when we when we, when I ask you a rhetorical question, like, um, like. Uh, Um, all, the, all the examples that come into mind are really pretentious so you know what I'm talking about when I, when I ask a rhetorical question and I obviously expect a response of yes or no I have to, in English I have to do stuff with my face and my hands and my inflection to get the point across to you that I'm speaking rhetorically like aren't I the best preacher in the world? Yeah, so you know, I need to do so, and even then. Um, in Greek, there is a, a way of writing that tells you, I'm expecting the answer to be no. It's much more clear. Uh, and that's the way of write the tense that Paul's using in this passage. So a really literal, wooden, um, difficult-to-read translation, like the New American Standard Bible. This is how they translate this, literal translation, All are not prophets, are they? All are not not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? See, it's much more clear. He, He expects you to say, no, of course not. All do not have gifts of healings. All do not speak with tongues. All do not interpret. So as much as I'd like to have the gift of tongues, from what Paul says about spiritual gifts, it makes sense that I might not receive the gift of tongues. Not everyone does, in the same way that not everyone receives any of God's spiritual gifts. Having said that, the reason that I keep praying that God would give me this gift is because I can see from what Paul says in this passage, as we're going to see, it would be a great thing to have. It would be great for my personal edification. It would strengthen me in faith if I had that gift. So, yeah, I want that gift because I want to be built up. I want to be encouraged. I want to be edified. And apart from anything else, he tells us to want these gifts. He says that for all the gifts. Remember in, in is it chapter 14, verse 1, he says, desire spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy, he says. But he says all gifts you should be desiring. You should, be, you should want them. The image of the kids down here wanting to get a handful of lollies out of the tub is exactly the image we should have of Christians in our church when it comes to all of God's gifts. I want those things. And yes, we need to have patience because God is the only one who gives them. We don't grab them for ourselves. But we should maintain our eagerness, our receptivity, our desire to want those gifts. Yeah. Yeah. So since I don't have my own testimony of receiving this gift, I might turn up next week and tell you something different. But up to this point in my life, these 19 years of being a Christian, not yet received the gift, I, I, I just want to read to you a, a testimony of someone recounting how they received the gift. All right. So this might put a little bit of flesh on the bones or make it a little bit more personal. This person writes, One night without warning, quite without warning, my normal, somewhat routine prayer was radically interrupted. I suddenly began speaking forth words of uncertain sound and form. There was a profound intensification of my sense of God's nearness and power. I distinctly remember feeling a somewhat detached sensation, as if I was separate from the one speaking. I had never experienced anything remotely similar to that in all my life. While this linguistic flood continued to pour forth, I kept thinking to myself, what are you saying? Are you speaking in tongues? It was the first time i had ever experienced the sensation of thinking in one language while speaking in another. My reaction to something so unfamiliar and new was a strange mixture of both fear and exhilaration. I don't recall precisely how long it lasted, but it couldn't have been more than a couple of minutes. I was confused, but at the same time felt closer to God than ever before. This is interesting, right? He says, My relationship with God to that point had been largely, if not entirely, intellectual. I'm not questioning the reality of my salvation. I'm simply saying that aside from a few emotional moments in church as a young boy, I had no tangible awareness of a dimension of reality beyond what I could encounter through the five senses. But on the night in question, it was as though the veil that separated my being from the being of God was lifted. My spirit was engulfed by the spirit of God. Neither before nor since that day have I felt so directly, empirically, and undeniably in touch with the realm of the supernatural. So that's one person's experience of receiving this gift of tongues and receiving it in a very unexpected way. Now, I just want to look at, having sort of established what this is and what it might be like to to be given this gift, I want to just look at what the Bible says about the gift and then we're going to be done, all right? So first I want to establish something that's really important, I think. And that is the fact that there seems to be, or more than seems to be, there is, in the New Testament, at least two different expressions of this gift. I think it's probably, though I could be convinced otherwise, I think it's probably the same gift in both cases, but expressed in two very different ways. So the first way that we see this gift exercised is at Pentecost, in Acts chapter two. Most of you are familiar with this um, this situation, the the first Pentecost, uh, where the where the not the first Pentecost, but the, the Pentecost when the Spirit is first uh, poured out on the church, and um. And we've gone through this. We, we preached the whole book of Acts a couple of weeks, a couple of years ago. Uh, if you want to look that up, we looked at this in depth. But here's the situation, I'll just read it for you, and you can, you can see this first use of the gifts, the gift of tongues. So in Acts chapter 2, and I think we've got it on the screen, verse 1 to 12, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place, suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues, different languages, as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, look, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and all the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues, in our own languages. They're all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So there you have the gift of tongues given so that people who don't speak these foreign languages are able to speak those languages having never spoken them before. That is a miracle, right? That is a supernatural act of God. If you take a look at the series guide that we've put out for this series in the, um, this, this week, week nine on the gift of tongues, uh, this is what I've written there, Tongue Speech at Pentecost. In this case, in this way of exercising the gift, speaking in tongues is the supernatural ability to speak real human languages not previously known to the speaker. We are told that the Passover pilgrims in Jerusalem heard the uneducated Galileans speaking their own native language, verse 5 to 8. It was an edifying gift, verse 7, given at an important moment in salvation history which happens occasionally today. So I've never seen this happen in person, and obviously, as I've said, I've haven't had the experience of doing this in person. But a friend of mine who works in a church in London, uh, where most of the people in his church are from African descent, uh, he said that they were in a prayer meeting, and they frequently in their church exercise the gift of tongues, and someone was pr- praising God in tongues. And a girl in the prayer meeting was like astonished and said to this person, how do you know, like how do you know how to speak my language? And if you know African languages or if you know anything about uh, South Sudanese brothers and sisters... There are not just languages in Africa, there are dialects of those languages such that you can speak the same language as someone and not understand what they're saying because your dialect is so different. She said, what you've just said is the weirdest dialect of my native language that no one knows. And you, just, you were just praising God in that language. How do you know how to speak that way? And the girl was like, oh, I don't know how to speak that way. It's a supernatural action. It's a supernatural action. So that occasionally happens today, as it did in Acts chapter 2. And when it does happen, it is an, an incredible demonstration of God's power. Anyone who's, from what I understand in that situation, they almost just stop the prayer meeting. They are so overwhelmed by the presence of God. Like if that happens, then God is really real. We 're not just talking to the ceiling here, like God actually must be real if that just happened. so you've got that exercise, that one type of the, the gift of tongues. Paul does say in, in chapter twelve that, there, that these gifts, the gifts that God gives, one of them includes various kinds of tongues, so there I think he's distinguishing between these different uses of this gift. So there's that one where we speak a language that you've never learned. Then there is what is far more common as far as my experience goes and the people that I speak to who speak in tongues, the the far more common experience is this, this use of the gift of tongues which is not meant for others but for myself. It is a prayer language, a way of speaking to God in a language that I don't understand which is... Purely between me and God for my own edification. Let me just read a little bit from our chapter today and we'll and see if if this makes sense. So he says, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 2, he says, the person who speaks in another tongue is not speaking to people but to God. Since no one understands him, he speaks mysteries in the spirit. Now, that can't be referring to the Acts 2 Pentecost gift of tongues, or at least that expression of it, right? Because that that was precisely speaking to other people. That was the whole point of it. Paul says this speaking in tongues is not to people, but to God. God. No one actually understands. No one's hearing their native Swahili being spoken by that white guy, right? That's not what's going on. No one understands. This person is speaking mysteries in the spirit. He goes on in verse 4 and 5. He says, the person who speaks in another tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds the church up. And verse 5, I wish all of you spoke in other tongues. That's another reason why we should ask for the gift. Paul thinks we should be eagerly desiring it. He wants us to have it. I wish all of you, right? I wish everyone in the church spoke in other tongues, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church might be built up. So here's what's going on, right? He's saying this gift of tongues, this praying in tongues, this communication between me and God in another language that I don't understand, its purpose is for me to be built up. Its purpose is to strengthen and edify me. He says the reason that in the church gathered prophecy is better is because when I prophesy, everyone can be built up, not just me. So while he says, I wish all of you would speak in tongues, it'd be even better if you prophesied. Why? Because the purpose of the gathered church is the strengthening edification, building up encouragement of God's people. Not just me, but everybody. I wish all of you spoke in other tongues, but even more that you prophesied, the person who prophesied is greater than the person who speaks in tongues unless he interprets. So that's the caveat he gives. He says this speaking in tongues this prayer language is only going to be really good for you cuz only you and God it's only between you and God unless there's an interpretation. So then this gift becomes something to strengthen the whole church. If someone can interpret the thing that you're saying between you and God that strengthens you, and the interpretation is applied to everyone, then that thing that's going on between you and God gets spread out to everybody and everyone's in strength and encouraged. courage. Can you see what's going on? You guys look as confused as I feel. All right. It, it does actually make good sense. The ideal situation, according to Paul, is that you have this gift of tongues exercised with interpretation that would be the best possible thing for the whole church thinking again the purpose of the church obviously aside from glorifying jesus our absolute ultimate goal is the strengthening of god's people encouragement edification building up so if that's the case the best thing that could happen would be a prophecy is given a teaching something that we can all understand and be strengthened by that's better than tongues, because tongues is only something for me and God. But if it's interpreted and applied to everyone, then that would be the best of all possible worlds. So he wants to have both. Remember the little girl in the meme, why can't we have both? That's what he wants. That, that would be ideal. Why can't we have both? So that's exactly what he says. He says in, in verse 14 to 15, if I pray in another tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. That's basically what he's just said. What then? I will pray with the spirit and I also pray with my understanding. I will, sing with pra- I will sing praise with the Spirit, and I also sing praise with my understanding. So that would be the ultimate. If I can sing and pray and praise God with, with, in tongues and with my understanding either translate what, what has just been said in tongues or apply it by way of a prophetic word that would encourage the whole church. Now, the reason I think that sometimes we're unsettled by this whole idea is because unless Paul just said that thing that he just said, we would think that would be a bad thing to say, right? What Paul just said sounds like something that one of those crazy Pentecostal people would say, who don't really care about thinking and theology and knowledge, right? Just back up to verse 14. He says, if I pray in another tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. He's saying, what's going on? Is just coming out of me in my sort of essence, in my soul. It's, it's a communion between me and God that bypasses my brain. My understanding is unfruitful. If a pe- big Pentecostal preacher said that, I'd be like, uh, yeah, okay. False teacher, maybe? Paul wrote the book of Romans, and he says stuff like that. Now, for those of us who have grown up in a post-Enlightenment, secular, humanist, Western culture like I have, who naturally prize thinking, understanding um, over feelings and emotions, and that sounds crazy. We are definitely on board with Paul writing Romans. We feel a little bit more uncomfortable with Paul saying, if I pray in another tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. But I think we just need to own up to the fact that we've been shaped by a culture that is disconnected from and incongruous to Paul. So this is what Gordon Fee says and he this is a, a another you know post enlightenment western humanist educated scholar bible scholar writes big thick books all right this is what he says contrary to the opinion of many read everyone in our culture at least culturally to, contrary to the opinion of many spiritual edification can take place in ways other than through the cortex of the brain Paul believed in an immediate communing with God by means of the Spirit that sometimes bypassed the mind. I think we just need to come to terms with that. Some of you come from cultures where all of that seems like you guys are weird. And it's true, we are weird. Those of us who are just, we're so, we've so been shaped by this idea of secular humanism. That is, the only thing that exists is what I can experience through my five senses. If I can't experience it through my five senses, it's fairy tales. That's what we've been brought up in. If you grew up in this country and educated in this school system. And so that this whole idea challenges us. We need to recognise the challenge and then we need to change. Not the Bible. We need to change. We should Paul is saying we should eagerly desire an experience with God that doesn't come to us through our five senses. We should eagerly experience a, 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 a desire and experience with God that, as far as our mind is concerned, is unfruitful. Doesn't make total sense. We can't dissect it. Now, it says in the gathered church, that's all well and good, but even better than all of that is just someone getting up, giving a prophecy, giving a teaching, giving a word of testimony. let's see if we can land this plane okay because I feel a little bit disoriented. let's see if we can just land somewhere with something that we can take away for our church because believe it or not when this series ends next week we're not just going to like right, box that whole spiritual gifts thing off and go back to being just you know normal people right um, like safe people comfortable people conservative people we're not doing that we're going to continue to seek God's Gifting of people in this church for the purpose of the strengthening of his church to the glory of God. That's what we're going to keep doing. So we need some guidelines for this is what I'm trying to say. And Paul gives us these guidelines. Next week, he's going to give us even more. And this week, he's going to leave us with some when it comes to the gift of tongues. So first of all, Let's just talk about gifts in general, spiritual gifts in general. I, I want to say this. And I think this is right, and I'm happy for us to change our kind of collective mind about this in the future, but I do think that the best environment for the exercising of spiritual gifts is the small group environment. One of the reasons we really want you to be in small groups, apart from the fact that just everything will be better. If you do, you will feel more encouraged, more supported, more cared for, more prayed for. You'll have a better understanding. All of those things will be more, more, more if you're in a small group. It's just a fact. An added benefit of small groups is that it's um, it's a really good environment for exercising spiritual gifts. You're around a smaller number of people who you can trust. Here this morning, you don't know everyone in the room. I don't know everyone in the room. It's going to take a lot more courage for me to step out and exercise a gift than it would if I was in a small group. You can cultivate an idea of not only an openness to the gifts and a sense of forgiveness for when we screw it up, as we always will, but you also get to know the giftings of the people in the group. Now, this makes much more sense of what Paul is saying because in his context, remember, they're all house churches. Most scholars agree that houses in Paul's day probably couldn't couldn't take more than 100 people at a time. They were designed to have lots of people, big open spaces, open plan, right? Because they were used to meeting in each other's homes. But probably never more than 100, even in the biggest house. So you're talking about smaller groups. And this is part of the reason why I think Paul says... Uh, don't speak in a tongue unless there's an interpreter. Well, how do you know if there's an interpreter? Well, because you know everyone in your church and you know who's got what gifts. Can't be, The same can't really be said of big gatherings like this. He also goes on to say that no, you know, one or two, no more than three should give a tongue. That makes more sense if you're in a smaller group than in thousands, right? So, so that's the best context for this to happen. Now there is still and should be and I hopefully more and more will be an openness to seeing gifts of the Spirit exercised in the corporate gathering around Sunday. I'm just saying it works better in small groups. So get in a small group and then ask your group, help me, help me to eagerly desire spiritual gifts and grow in these gifts. The second thing I want to say, I've only got four things, all right? So the second thing I want to say is that um, I just want to reaffirm what Paul has said here, that when it comes to the gathered people, when it comes to Sunday morning, when it comes to big gatherings of people, prophecy, teaching, testimony is more beneficial than tongues. It's more beneficial because, as Paul says, more people can be edified by it. And so he says in verse 18 and 19 of chapter 14, he says, I thank God that I speak in other languages more than all of you. Whoa. He's speaking to the Corinthians. These guys are crazy for the spiritual gifts. They are, they are right. They're, they're not like you. They're not like, oh, I don't know about this. They're like, yes, tongues. Give me more. If I could just speak in tongues instead of my native language all the time, I would do that. Yes, tongues, tongues, tongues. And Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you guys. I thank God that I speak in other tongues more than all of you. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in another tongue. Like, no, so that's hyperbole, right? He's, he's trying to make a very emphatic point. He's just saying it's going to be more helpful for everyone if someone says, hey, 19 years ago I became a Christian, let me tell you about that. than if I got up here and just you know, spoke in tongues, Point number three, this doesn't, mean, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't have tongues in the gathered church. This doesn't mean that we prevent people. This doesn't mean, Well, St. Paul said he'd rather speak five words than 10,000, so just... It doesn't mean we can't have them in the gathering. So verse 39 to 40, this is what he says. So then, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, do not forbid speaking in other tongues. But everything is to be done decently and in order. So I've been in churches that do prevent speaking in tongues. Verse 39, do not forbid speaking in other tongues. It's profoundly unbiblical. It would be profoundly unbiblical, and you guys would need to correct me if I got up here and said, listen, we're not going to have any tongues in this church, all right? I mean, any of that weirdness. It would be disobeying a direct command. But everything is to be done decently, And in order, and we'll go further into that next week. He's going to really lay out some order for the church. Last thing, I hope we can hold all these things together. I understand there's a tension there. Final thing is when it comes to tongues in the gathered church, a tongue given for everyone to hear. I'm not talking about the private prayer language. That I'm just having between me and God, not spoken to men but to God, right? I'm not talking about that, but a tongue given for the church. Everyone, I've got a tongue that I I'm, I'm, need to share with the church. As far as that goes, it shouldn't happen in the public gathering unless there's an interpretation. Right, Paul's really big on this, so a couple of passages. In verse 12 and 13 of chapter 14, he says... You also, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. Therefore, the person who speaks in another tongue should pray that he can interpret. So he seems to be saying, before that is shared, you need to pray for an interpretation. Because only then will there be the building up which he wants us to excel in. Right? Seek to excel in building up the church, And therefore, because that is our primary aim, if you're going to share a tongue, you need to have an interpretation. And it gets a little bit more um, definitive in verse 27 and 28 of the same chapter. He says, If anyone speaks in another tongue, there are to be only two, or at the most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. So unless you've got an interpretation for this tongue, it's just something for you and God. It's not something for everyone Everyone to hear. It's really important that we listen to and obey these guidelines that he gives us because only on that basis can we eagerly desire these things and not worry about the consequences. This is the fence that keeps us safe. I want to finish just by reading you an account. And again, you know, I've had to go beyond my own experience, because as I've said, I don't have a lot of it when it comes to this stuff. I know that there are many, many in our church who have the gift of tongues, and it's a greatly encouraging thing for them and for me um, to know that they are, ex- they are experiencing and exercising that gift. But just on the interpretation thing, and this will go into next week's um, sermon, which is all about how to do this in the church, how to do this whole spiritual gifts thing. This is just something that, um, that Sam Storms relates in his book, Practicing the Power. He's written many f- very big theological books on the gifts of the Spirit. This is more of a practical manual. I'd highly recommend you get this if you want to keep going with what we've been talking about. I'm going to buy a stack of them. Um, Doug had a great idea this morning. Buy a stack of these and, and just uh, make them available to you as cheap as I can get them. Um, but he, he recounts an experience of being in a Pentecostal Meeting in a Pentecostal, I think it was a conference, um, and where an uninterpreted tongue was given. And so this is what happened. And I just think this, this just speaks of clarity and of purity and of biblical transparency. And I just, I love it. All right, so here we go. Uh, he says Several years ago, I was attending a conference in Fort Worth, Texas. I was very new in my understanding and experience of the Spirit's power. If something I did went amiss in the course of uh, the meeting, my natural response was to crawl under my seat and hide for shame. But Jack Hayford, uh, some of you know that name, um, Jack Hayford taught me something important. All right, And, and so Jack Hayford is a, a classical Pentecostal. If you go back to what we talked about with the Pentecostal charismatic, cessationist kind of branches, a classical Pentecostal uh, pastor and theologian. Um, And uh, here's the experience that they had together. Um, At this conference, um, there was a brief pause in the time of singing and a familiar transition between songs with the clanging of multiple tambourines as well. I just want to thank God that Paul doesn't talk about tambourines at all in, in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, all right? So if he did, it's probably just the gong thing, the cymbals, the right? Anyway, we don't have this, the tambourine tra- tradition in our church, and I'm okay with that. Anyway, in, in, in this church, it, between songs, it's all tambourines. Ding, 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 right? So um, between songs, the... <laughs> The, cl- the, the uh, clanging of multiple tambourines as well. Suddenly in the upper regions of the convention centre, a lady stood up and began to pray, shouting aloud in tongues. Everyone froze. You could almost hear people holding their breath, terrified that inhaling or exhaling might bring down the rafters or worse, the wrath of Almighty God. Her voice brought the entire event to a sudden and shameful halt. Jack Hayford rose from his chair and calmly walked to the podium. Hayford wasn't scheduled to speak that night, but the leadership of the conference immediately deferred to him and allowed him to address the lady, hopefully bringing some measure of spiritual order to what felt like fleshly, self-serving chaos. He spoke, and I paraphrase, Ma'am, I trust that you love the Lord Jesus with all your heart. Your zeal to express that love through tongues and to minister to the encouragement to the rest of us is commendable. So please don't think for a moment that what I'm about to say is a rebuke in any way or a denunciation of your desire to honor God. And the rest of you here tonight have my permission to go ahead and breathe. He continued, spiritual gifts are a wonderful Blessing. And I applaud the leadership of this conference for making room for their exercise, but the Bible also has clear guidelines for how they are to be employed. In 1 Corinthians 14, the Apostle Paul tells us that in a corporate gathering such as this, the purpose of which is the edification of all believers, everything should be done in an intelligible manner so that we might understand and be instructed. This is why he insisted that if there is a tongue, there must be an interpretation. May I suggest that given the size of this gathering and the virtual impossibility of knowing whether or not there will be an interpretation, all such expressions of tongues be done quietly or not at all. So a gentle pastoral realignment with what scripture has revealed about how these gifts should be exercised. So for those of you who are zealous to exercise spiritual gifts, Paul says, "Yes, Amen. Get after it." He says that even to the crazy Corinthians who are off, their, out of their mind, right? He says, "Yes, by all means, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Have at it." He doesn't once say, "Well, just tone it down a little bit, or maybe prevent it for a little while." He says, "No, open the floodgates." Those of you who are eager to exercise spiritual gifts should be encouraged and feel encouraged. Those of you who are scared, those of you who just want things to go back to being predictable, those of you who want some order and some just a little bit more um, conservatism around these parts, Paul says, be reassured, I'm giving clear biblical fences that are going to keep you safe. And God is a good father who never gives bad or dangerous or untimely gifts. So, I'm going to pray for us now. And this is just part of an ongoing prayer. You need to know this. Our prayer team and anyone who wants to be a part of this... Our ongoing prayer is that God would reveal more and more of himself and of his will and of his ways, and he would give more and more giftedness to our church so that everyone might be built up. So this is not a one-off prayer. This is an ongoing and continual prayer for our good. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you that you haven't left these things in the dark While we might at times feel threatened by them or even confused, you have made yourself known to us. And I thank you so much for that. I thank you that you have reassured us today that you're a good father and that you only give good gifts. I thank you that you've encouraged us to eagerly seek after those gifts, including the gift of tongues or languages. And I pray even now that you would be giving that gift to people in our church for their own strengthening encouragement and when interpreted for the encouragement of everyone here. Lord, please do it. We want everything good that comes from your hand. And I pray for us as we move forward as a church that you would continue to build us as a biblical church in every sense of the word. I pray that where we're prone to error or making mistakes or fumbling around with this stuff, that we would be patient, that we would be gracious, and that we would be being made by you more and more to be like your son, full of spirit and truth. Yeah. We pray these things, all these things, in Jesus' name. Amen.